When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This Slate TV Club podcast is sponsored by Casper, an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price. Casper mattresses come with free delivery and returns within a 100-day period. And get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash Saul and using the promo code Saul. And by audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Get a free audiobook of your choice at audible.com slash Saul. The following podcast contains spoilers. We strongly recommend you watch the episode of Better Call Saul we're discussing before you listen to this podcast. Lights start a blank and those handcuffs click. You know who to call and you better call quick. Saul, Saul, you better call Saul. He'll fight for your rights when your back's to the wall. Stick it to the man, justice for all. You better call Saul. Hello and welcome to Slate's TV Club podcast about Better Call Saul, the new AMC drama. We're going to be talking today about episode seven, Bingo. I'm June Thomas, editor of Slate's Outward section, and I'm here today with Seth Stevenson. Hello, Seth. Hey, June. How you doing? I'm good. Now, did you come here today on the train, perhaps? I did. I took the two to the one, which is how I usually get to the Slate office here in the West Village. But we have, as long as... We're talking about trains. trains, which is what a coincidence that you brought oh. up trains, June. Uh, we have a listener email because last week, you'll recall, we spoke extensively about the Albuquerque train station and Mike Ermintrout arriving uh, there. And we were like, why would he take the train from Philadelphia? And I talked a lot about the Amtrak Southwest Chief from Chicago to Los Angeles, what that's like, who's on the train, blah, blah, blah. Then a astute listener named Barton Smith from Utah emailed me and said, sorry, Seth, Mike arrived in Albuquerque on the Rail Runner, not on Amtrak. Mm. And Barton Smith is correct. In fact, it does appear that he's stepping off of the Rail Runner train. But the Rail Runner is like a commuter rail that goes between Santa Fe and Albuquerque. I can't for the life of me imagine why Mike would be on that train. I mean, why would he, would he like fly into Santa Fe and then catch a commuter rail to Albuquerque? It doesn't make any sense to me why he would be on that train. Well, I'm just afraid now because if we are saying or suggesting that uh, that Vince Gilligan and, and the people who put together Better Call Saul would have made any kind of mistake, we always get a lot of email because there are a lot of people who think that Vince Gilligan is 
infallible. So watch out. But really, it doesn't make no sense, I would say. There's a hole in the, in the Gilligan universe here. Um, you know, and I what, early at the beginning of this week's episode, when the cop from Philadelphia, the older cop, was sitting down and talking to Mike, and he says, uh, he talks about jet lag. He mentions mm-hmm. for a second jet lag. And I thought, for a moment, I'm so focused on, on, this, <laughs> on this factoid. For a moment, I thought he was going to say something that was going to explain, like, and Mike would be like, yeah, I flew too, but I flew into Santa Fe or something. <laughs> I thought, I was like, how, when are they going to address and this? how did you connect with the train from the Santa Fe <laughs> Exactly. When are you going to address this? important rail issues. Anyway, thank you, uh, Barton, for that email. Um, clearing up, well, not clearing up this important issue. Maybe later in the series there'll be some sort of explanation. I mean... Surely. It'll be the lily of the valley of Better Call Saul. Or maybe we should stop digging, June. I mean, some rocks are better left unturned. So true. So, Seth, let's talk about this episode. It was, I thought, another great one. I agree. At the beginning of the show, we had a scene where Mike and Jimmy go to the courthouse to return the young Philadelphia cops notebook that uh, they took so sneakily in the last episode. And that was an opportunity for Jimmy to deliver a magnificent line where he said to Mike, once again, I do all the talking. That's the only way this works. And you sort of thought, have you met Mike? That's yeah. that's going to happen. You don't need to say that out loud. Not a lot of talking coming from Mike in general. Indeed. And he did, he did, uh, he did his job. He didn't speak up. He was well handled. Although then he, he did sort of send Jimmy away, and he had a heart-to-heart with the older Philadelphia cop. We actually learned something from that plot-wise, which was that maybe we're just letting whatever happened in Philadelphia stay in Philadelphia. Seemed to have laid that to rest, and we're moving forward with our Albuquerque storyline. Philadelphia is no longer in the picture. But I guess what's holding, what we're holding on to from that is now it really does seem that Mike has this motivation to do the right thing. So we had, we had that little scene. Then we had a beautiful moment with, I think, Jimmy and Kim, where Jimmy, first of all, takes her to this divine office space. It's like the office space in the sky, Suite 801, which really makes Kim's head spin. It's so beautiful. The corner office is so fantastic. Actually, let's listen to a clip from that. Here we are. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) This is way better than the other one. You think? Uh, Yeah, who goes in here? Because I'd be all up in here if I were you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you know, you're right. It is real nice. It's a corner office. You gotta go with the corner office. I'm saving it for someone. Who? My partner. Your partner? Who's... Who would that be? Well, you said you were interested in elder law. That's... That is so... Thank you. Really. But, you know, I've got a lot invested at HHM. With what's going on now, I'm closer than ever to partner. Like, maybe two years, and I'm in. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's... It's just a thought. Plus, you know, they put me through law school. I feel like I owe them. Actually, I do owe them. Literally, you know? But it's a nice start, Jimmy. Just, uh, you know, playing with ideas. I had the extra office and everything. Yeah, no, I get it. I want to see the kitchen. So I love that scene, June. Um, one thing uh, we wanted to note is why is she so impressed 
by that office because the the Hamlin office is in fact quite nice uh, so by nice its own piece right. Of architecture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty schmancy. Um, and this like this corner office. Yes, it's a corner office with a gigantic open you know view windows, plate huge plate glass floor to ceiling windows. But it looks out on like nothing on like Albuquerque flatland scrub. Not, I mean, there are some fluffy clouds, mm-hmm. a lot of blue sky. I, I admit that is pretty nice. But yeah, I'm, I'm not sure why she was so impressed by that. Maybe it was the stainless steel. Um, well, I think maybe it's the contrast. I mean, the guy is in a one room that he also sleeps in behind a nail salon right now. So, it's yeah. you know, he has gone from zero to, if not 70, a good 40 there. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. He's It's definitely a step up <laughs> yeah, for Jimmy. Um, but, you know, one thing I just I love that scene because I thought the actress who plays Kim was so excellent in that scene. I thought she was so great in that. Yeah, no, she wasn't. There is a, a moment when she recognized what Jimmy was suggesting that she just let a, a look of realization play over her face. like, And it really did seem like surprise. It was really beautifully done. She's a really great actress who I think typically has not gotten the kind of roles that justif- are justified by her talent. She tends to play the kind of hard-edged, um, impatient, sort of slightly hard woman, uh, often a lawyer. And I just don't think she's had an opportunity to show really what a good actress she is before. And they have a really sweet rapport. I mean, it's really the idea that Jimmy wants her to have the nice office. Yeah. He clearly has such respect for her, and, and they clearly like spending time with each mm-hmm. other. It's very sweet. And I think, too, that there are elements of the relationship that remind me of Jimmy and uh, Mike, partly because they do so well with silence. I mean, there's this thing that we've now seen in, in more than one episode where they have an unspoken, they don't have to say meet you at the elevators. They just kind of meet there and they just, you know, share that cigarette. It's a very, you know, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a relationship that doesn't require a lot of words. There's a lot of understanding that goes on. It's a very sweet and compatible relationship, I think. Old shoes, old broken in shoes. Exactly. Like you and me, Jen. Exactly. <laughs> This Slate TV Club podcast is brought to you by Casper, the online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price. Now, a Casper mattress provides resilience and long-lasting supportive comfort. Casper's mattress is one of a kind, a new hybrid mattress that combines premium latex foam with memory foam. So Casper gives you an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. You get just the right sink, just the right bounce, two technologies, not just one, latex foam and memory foam, come together for better nights and brighter days. You can enjoy a risk-free trial and return policy. Try sleeping on a Casper for 100 days with free delivery and painless returns. Seth, I believe you know a thing or two about mattresses. I do. I wrote a story about mattress shopping for Slate several years ago. I still regularly get emails about this. I think it comes up high in the Google results when people are looking around researching mattresses. And I will say anything that helps you avoid walking into the physical mattress store is a godsend. Because what happens when you walk into the brick and mortar mattress store is the salesman comes up and you say, oh, is anything on sale? And he says, everything's on sale. (laughs) And then he offers you like four million different options. and You can't compare apples to apples. And it's very confusing. 
amazing, and you and you only get you know thirty seconds to lie down on this thing, and, and then you just have to make a snap judgment about whether it's right for you. So this it is exciting what Casper is doing. The fact that you could do this online from the comfort of your home, avoiding the Michigas of the mattress <laughs> store, and getting to try out the mattress at your leisure over an extended period of time seems like a huge deal to me. Well, they're also a bargain at five hundred dollars for a twin size mattress and nine hundred and fifty dollars for a king size mattress. And you can get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash Saul. That's C-A-S-P-E-R dot com slash Saul. Thank you, Casper. So we talked earlier about how there was some really good use of silence in this episode. And one of the amazing parts were quietness and just watchfulness came in was in this amazing set piece in the middle where... Uh, Mike conducts some surveillance. Let's talk about that amazing scene. Yeah, so it's like a funky instrumental music score playing, and there's absolutely no dialogue, and uh, we just watch Mike plant this little bait of the money with sprayed, what was it, like ultraviolet, some sort of ultraviolet I think maybe reading. it was luminol, maybe. Okay, he sprays it on the, on the stack of cash, puts it in a toy truck in the yard, um, and then he watches the Kettlemans come get the money, go back in their house, ask the kids where the money came from, and all of this with no dialogue right. whatsoever, all visual, and it was such a um, bravura television construction yeah. class there. I mean, it was like, we don't even need dialogue to tell you an entire story. It was pretty extended, too. It was yeah. a couple of minutes. Yeah. Mike's eating stuff. Listening he to ate the, five apples. He's listening to the baseball game on the radio, and we but we know exactly what's going on. Even though there's no dialogue, we can see yeah. everything develop, and it was very well done. And I think you mentioned earlier this morning when I was talking to you, it was kind of like the Rockford Files, yeah. that funky music playing, and we see the detective doing his thing, and yeah. it was kind of a throwback to 1970s-style shows. Yeah. And in the way that that came about because um, Jimmy was so frustrated with the Kettlemans. I mean, Betsy Kettleman is kind of crazy. And she, it seemed that she is. She really is crazy. At first, I thought she was pulling a scam. That she was, you know, playing a trick on her husband in a way. She was going to make him take the weight while she had the money. But it wasn't that. She really was self-deceiving, which is very, again, very much a Vince Gilligan. Uh, in something that Vince Gilligan is very interested in. Yeah, I love that Betsy Kettleman character. She, the actress, is great, and just her upbeat. She, her moral underpinnings are just not there. She's completely divorced from logic, but she's so upbeat, and she, it's sort of like the secret. It's yeah, like absolutely. If I, if I say it, it's going to happen. Um, and she so she says, and she's got this henpecked husband, and she's like, she'll say things like, "Always in life, look forward," and you know, "What money?" Um, and uh, I love that character. I'm sort of sad. It seems like they're. Their plot has been resolved. We might not see any more Betsy Kettleman, but she yeah. was delightful. Also a great mom, you know. Just she really did. She cared about her kids. And this reminds me of something that we got an e- another email that we got this week was sort of taking me to task for suggesting that Saul slash Jimmy wasn't a good attorney. I think I was talking about competence and, and how that's something that, uh, you know, you can't have a guy at the center of a show who may or may not be good at his job. So someone took me to task for even bringing that up. But... I do think it's, again, a central concern of Vince Gilligan, that he has always been interested in the difference between someone's self-image and their 
you know, their view of themselves and the way the world views them. And he's also really good at hiring actors who can show that there's a difference between the way they see themselves and the way the world sees them, which was definitely true of Brian Cranston's portrayal of Walter White, and I think was also present in Betsy Kettleman. She, she was just divorced from the real world. You know, even Jimmy lost his temper with her and said, you know, get down from cloud cuckoo land. And it was because she's divorced from reality too much, excessively. Um, you know, Vince Gilligan once told me when I asked him to describe various characters in Breaking Bad, I asked, and I said, you know, tell me who Walter White is in a few words. And he said, untrue to himself. And I think that's something that he's absolutely fascinated by. And um, right now, Jimmy and Mike are being true to themselves. And, you know, the, the, some of those other characters are not, they're incapable of it, we see. They are. It's very different... Um, spiritual tone to this show. Where with Walter White, I mean, you're at the beginning certainly you have sympathy for a guy who's struggling, trying to do the right thing, but he's mm-hmm. in circumstances beyond his control. Blah blah blah. Here we we've got these guys, but you know, but later on in Breaking Bad, there, there's just nothing good about Walter White. I mean, right, there's just right, nothing no. to respect about. I mean, he's just a bad bad guy. Certainly, you can you can respect his ability to uh, act on the things he wants to do or to or to manipulate people, but he is a bad guy. And that this show is very different. These are people who do have moral underpinnings. You know, the main characters are people who are sympathetic to us, who, you know, they're trying to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. They have these things in their background. Mike certainly has this. We learned, uh, you know, we watched the beginning of this week's episode about Mike having this background that's going to cause him to have concerns about how he lives his life and how he conducts himself. We've got Jimmy who comes from this background. who's trying to rise above mm-hmm. slipping Jimmy from Cicero. You know, he's he wants to be better than that. And he's got this brother who tries to hold him up to a higher standard. He's got Kim who tries to bring out his best self. So these are characters we're supposed to have sympathy for and we're supposed to watch them struggle against, the, you know, with their angels and their demons. Right. And uh, it's a different, it's a very different feel. And I like it. It's a, it's a lighter tone for mm-hmm, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a different feel. And we watch Saul um, return that money he'd gotten from the Kettlemans because he, and he, he's doing something for the Kettlemans he doesn't have to do. He's, he's helping the Kettlemans and he's helping Kim at the same time by returning that $1.6 million. Um, and as part of that, he's giving back the, what was it, 30 grand or yeah. that he got, yeah. um, which pains him deeply, but he's doing the right thing. Um, and uh, so. And he's doing it in a brilliant manner. I mean, the, the smarts of that whole enterprise of him, look, you know, struggling with the papers and all of the files from, and just thinking, oh God, this is, I will never figure out a way to save them or even just to to get you know some form of justice he kind of you know looks up at the sky sees that box and i guess just uh, did you think do you think that right then he saw the seeds of like how i can you know make this right uh, of t- you know figuring out where the cattlemen's have hidden the money which he does in a brilliant way with mike's help uh, of then returning the money of get that getting them to go back to Kim. Um, and, you know, just the brilliance of that, especially because I noticed that the box that he had his money in, this floor shine box, is also the box where in episode one, in that cold open from the future, that's where he has all his sort of keepsakes and his Saul Goodman, you know, ad v- VHS. Uh, and so, you know, that box is the start of so much in Jimmy slash Saul's life. The floor shine box. Gilligan, Gilligan is God, June. Continuity yes. stands. Rail, rail runner notwithstanding, <laughs> the, the floor shine box proves it. Um, 
Yeah, and the, the way they executed that with with um, the money and they take it from the sink in the upstairs bathroom. I, the other scene I love, besides that uh, funky instrumental with Mike, I also love the way they use that same house, the Kettleman's house, later on when Jimmy goes and he's he's sitting on the fireplace hearth, right. um, and he and he says, "Hey, why don't you go take a look at, at your money up in the upstairs bathroom <laughs> under right. the sink?" And they run up, and the camera stays put, and you can just hear them running up the stairs. You can then see them on that open mezzanine, and uh, it was really well done the way they used that open house to, to show that. Right. And the, the Foley work, you know, the running up the stairs, the throwing of the cleaning supplies, you know, you, you see them just tossing it without seeing it. You you saw that scene just from the sound effects. It was really beautifully done. But here's my question about that. And it was very sweet when he when they are, he brings them back to Kim as a client and Kim Mouse, thank you to yeah. him. And, and he's done a, he's done a good thing on lots of different levels. But here is my question. Why did Hamlin care so much about losing that client? Because so Hamlin puts Kim out in the cornfield when she right. loses that client. And then Kim is incredibly grateful when she gets that client back and says, thank you. And it's a big deal for Jimmy to send them back to her. I don't get why, because if they're giving that $1.6 million back to the city government or whatever it is, they're just a middle class. It's not some huge corporate client that's going to be that you're going to bill at $700 an hour for the next 10 years. This is not a gigantic whale that you're landing with this couple. This is just a middle class family that doesn't have tons of, you know, they don't have really deep pockets here or something. So I didn't understand why Hamlin would be why it would be such a big deal to have this client or lose this client. I have to say I had the same thought because you know, I thought, well, did they hold back some money? But they wouldn't have been able to because it would have been all about their, you know, their assets and so on. There would have been an accounting. They wouldn't have been able to use any of the money that he stole so pathetically by just writing checks to himself. Uh, so I had that same concern, and I don't think that that really made sense. Yeah. It, I mean, it wasn't even a client that Jimmy would want. Uh, well, I have a couple more questions about the future of this series. But first, mm. why don't we talk about our second sponsor for this week? We are sponsored this week by Audible, a leading provider of premium digital spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Content from Audible is downloaded and played back on your smartphone, portable device, or your PC. If you can listen to this TV Club podcast, you can listen to Audible. And right now, you can get a 30-day trial and a free audiobook of your choice at audiblepodcast.com slash Saul. Now, Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from. So to get you started, I am going to make a recommendation. June, lately, I have been reading a lot of Elmore Leonard books. Mm. love Elmore Leonard. Unfortunately, he passed away not too long ago. But um, I love Elmore Leonard. He's got a lot of books, and he's got a lot of books on Audible. So I will just start you off with a couple possible recommendations, ones that I know people will love and that they may be familiar with, in fact. So one is Get Shorty, uh-huh. which was turned into a film with John Travolta um, about a Miami sort of criminal um, who gets involved in the Hollywood uh, movie business and finds it's not, in fact, all that different than the criminal <laughs> underworlds to deal with studio executives. It's a great Elmore Leonard book with incredibly snappy dialogue and colorful characters. Um, and if you like the world of Better Call Saul with these sort of criminal elements and these shady people always looking for an angle, then you will love the world of Elmore Leonard. I was just thinking, it sounds kind of similar that, you know, the underworld isn't that dissimilar from the rest of the you know, the, the righteous world. 
Yeah, exactly. And, and another great uh, Elmore Leonard book, also available on Audible, is Rum Punch, which is about a flight attendant who's <laughs> helping to uh, smuggle some guns uh, on, on the airplanes uh, to a criminal in Florida. And that actually, Quentin Tarantino turned that into a movie called Jackie Brown, which is a great movie ah. uh, based on that book. But the book is called Rum Punch. So Rum Punch, Get Shorty, uh, a pair of Elmore Leonard books available on Audible, and you could choose one and get it free as part of your 30-day trial. Again, you can get a 30-day trial and a free audiobook of your choice at audiblepodcast.com slash Saul. Well, so this episode closed with Jimmy in his beautiful corner plate glass office, kicking the door on the ground. And it seemed like, you know, his, his, the dream has, had died because he, he, he was all torn up about having given back that money that that he had built, he said, upon this rock I build my church. When he first got that ill-gotten money from the Kettlemans, and now he's giving that money back, and it's almost like he's back at square one. The dream of this beautiful office seems a little bit dead because he gave back thirty thousand dollars, and because Kim turned him down to become his partner, and now it's like this this dream he had, this beautiful dream, is sort of falling apart, um, and he's crushed. He's on, he's he's literally on the floor of the office. Um, kind of, you know, almost crying to himself, kicking yep. the door, and then his phone rings, uh, and he and he answers the phone with his his crazy high pitched British secretary voice. <laughs> exactly. Um, and the and the message is he's going to soldier on. Yeah. He's going to keep. He's going to keep going. So for me, that was very key to this episode. We saw him struggling with Betsy Cattleman's insane disconnection from real life. She just denied everything, and to me, that scene at the end where. Interestingly, I thought Jimmy closed the door, even though that the whole office suite was empty. There was no one else there, but he closed the door so that nobody who wasn't there could see him. A little bit of privacy <laughs> yeah, from no one. Exactly. Nobody could see him have his meltdown. But I felt like he always knew. He always knew that Kim couldn't join him. For one thing, she still owes Hamlin because HHM puts a, put her through law school. So he he. He never, I don't think he ever truly believed that she would join him. I don't think he ever really thought he could have that fancy office suite because he is still slipping Jimmy ultimately. And he's trying really hard. He's trying to do good and he's trying to do the right thing. But I also think that he knows that he'll never truly make it to that beautiful sweet 801. He's going to have to host a lot of bingo tournaments. Speaking of bingo, so I was, that was a lovely scene with him doing his uh, bingo calling. And I think he has a great future because he's, he's appreciative of the, uh, the problems of the, the senior set, which sometimes takes me a while to find all the numbers on their card. But it was a fantastic Nita Will Call McGill bingo card with his fantastic image in the middle. And I noticed on the side there was his phone number. And so I actually called that number and I was very impressed with the message that I received when I called. Why don't we call it right now and see what Let's. happens? Let's. Okay, guys, I'm picking up the phone. <laughs> Our producer, Joel Meyer, is I'm, dialing. Yeah, I mean, could, should we just give out the phone number? Yeah. Sure, it's I mean, not a secret. I think that we should, right? It's 505 842 5662. Hello. You've reached the law offices of James M. McGill Esquire, a lawyer you can trust. Kindly leave your information at the tone, and Mr. McGill will phone you promptly. 
Should, should we leave a message? Go for it, Joel. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, hi, Mr. Hi, oh, hi, Mr. Oh. McGill. <laughs> oh, I think it hung up on us. Yeah. You can't leave you a can't message. You can't really leave a message. Oh, yeah. Well, well no, June, well. June is, our, uh, is our resident expert in British accents. Which region of the, of the United Kingdom would you say that Jimmy's from? I think it's uh, Cicero Shire. <laughs> That's about right. Yeah. By way of like Mary Poppins or something. Uh-huh. I'm always curious about what like Jimmy's always make gives that like does anybody think that that's not Jimmy? I don't know. I mean, now people in Albuquerque maybe haven't heard a ton of British accents. You don't hear them every day. You know, it might be just enough. Especially, particularly, let's say you're a slightly dotty, 87-year-old yeah. uh, person in need of a will. You might you might not blink an eye. I mean, especially if you talk to your humble figures and they respond in that voice. So maybe. <laughs> Could sure, be. Sure, sure. Um, well, that's about it for this week's episode. Let's. We want to encourage again. We got a lot of great listener emails this week. We mentioned the person pointing out that it was the Rail Runner, not the Amtrak. <laughs> we had someone write in comparing the fashion choices of Mike Ermentrout and Andy Sipowitz of NYPD Blue. Very astute. Very astute observation there with the short sleeve button down shirts and the, and the clunky soled shoes. Uh, we enjoyed that. And so you can send your emails to podcasts at slate dot com. And uh, let us know what you think. Point out what we missed. You know, I bet, June, mm. did you notice at the, mm. at the beginning when Mike and Jimmy are talking, they're sitting on that bench and above them are missing posters Yes. Uh, for all these wanted criminals? I bet I would not be surprised if someone from Breaking Bad or someone in the Vince Gilligan universe was in there and we are not quite up enough uh, on, the, on the Gilligan universe to have noticed. But Seth, is that a listener challenge you've just issued? Is, I have thrown down the gauntlet. Please point out, I'm sure someone out there will <laughs> notice that. And that if I hadn't mentioned this, they would have let us know uh, how foolish we were not to have noticed. Well, but, and the fact that you believe that that is so is really all that we need to know about the Vince Gilligan universe, that we all believe that he seeded a, a, a window full of... Um, it's an Easter egg, just like the yeah. phone number. Um, yeah, and well, and listeners, you might perhaps you have a great alternative uh, explanation for why Mike Ermentrout would be on the Rail Runner out of Santa Fe, and they, <laughs> I mean, it might be some reason. Uh, anyway, let us know. Podcasts at slate.com. All right. Well, thanks for listening to this Slate TV Club podcast. Join us next time when we'll talk about Better Call Saul episode eight, which apparently is called Rico. Uh, This week was bingo, which was so perfect. Uh, And check out our other recent TV podcasts about House of Cards and The Americans. Just go to iTunes and search for Slate TV Club. Our producer and phone caller is Joel Meyer. The executive producer is Andy Bowers. Slate TV Club is part of the Panoply Network. Seth, until next week. Until next week, June. Oh, I love your French tips, by the way. (laughs) Thanks. Appreciate that. Yeah, no worries. Bye. Hi, I'm Adam Davidson of NPR's Planet Money and the New York Times Magazine, and I am having so much fun hosting the second season of Working, Slate's podcast about what people do all day. I got to find out what an average day is for Adam McKay. He wrote and directed and produced all sorts of great comedies by Will Ferrell and is now working on a really great financial thriller. I talked to a bail bondsman, the guy at the United Nations who was in charge of stopping Ebola and a whole bunch of others. Find us online at slate.com slash working, or just search for us in the iTunes store.